Hello, you're listening to Living Alone Together. I am your only host, Yan. So today,、um, I think it'll be a sentimental episode where I'm just gonna talk about how I feel towards、uh, certain things in life in general. And in other words, it's not gonna be too much of a an episode on what happened in the past week. It's just how I feel about things. So maybe that's that's a change. Um, but before I do that, I suppose I could still mention a few films I watched on the Criterion Channel. So if you've been following my podcast, you would know that I subscribed、um, to the Criterion Channel, and、uh, I am currently enjoying it a lot.、Um, I think I pretty much watch one movie every single day. On average, <laughs> and so in the past week,、um, a few a few films I do want to mention. The first one is My Dinner with Ander by、uh, Louis Malle. So it's a French director, and、um, this one is a total gem. I think <laughs> it is. It is very,、um, let's say. Unusual, or rather, it's very unique. Let's just say because、um, there are certain films that do pretty much just consist of conversations and not too much、um, of action. Let's say the Before trilogy may count as、uh, such movies, and the、uh, there's one I really like, which is Carnage, and it's based on a play. That's also Based on pretty much just conversations and not not action, not not too much action in there.、Um, my dinner with Andre, I think it's it must be one of the first films to do this.、Um, it's it, there's really the people aren't even moving. So in the before trilogy,、uh, at least they're walking around in the cities, and in Carnage they are still. Walking around in the apartment, so you get to see at least two or three different scenes, different setups、um, in Carnage. But in my dinner with Ander, really, it's just about two men、um, sitting in the、uh, at the restaurant, and they just talk for ninety minutes. And the whole movie could have been a podcast, <laughs> and and yet it's being it it's made、uh, into a movie, and so you got to look at them,、um, and and yet it's interesting because you don't get bored watching the、um, the movie itself. I admit that there are times when I actually just、uh, open another window on the side and do some other stuff, but.、Um, I would say that I would be okay to look at the movie, to watch the whole movie, without doing anything else, and it just flows very, very well. Now, what the conversation is about,、um, I suppose it has certain parts. So one part is about their mutual friend. They were talking about some experience with theater. That part I cannot really comment on too much. I suppose you need to have a lot more background knowledge on the theater and on.、Um, What the cinema experience was like、um, in that era, which is about twenty or twenty or thirty years ago, right? So that's one part. So there's that the aesthetics、um, uh, commentary on the aesthetics of the theater and maybe some、uh, 
something about performance. So I admit I sort of didn't concentrate too much on that part.、Um, but then there is a whole part on,、um, I guess, in a way, scientific revolution or the Enlightenment or what I was talking about、uh, with with fantasy. So basically. They they long、uh, they started this this philosophical discussion on how we are no longer in touch with our surroundings anymore because we do live in a scientific fantasy. That is the point of、um, that is Andre's point, and I suppose the protagonist is called Wally. <laughs> I think basically Wally's point is he's for the science, so he's more like. But it's the science that makes us connect to the rest of the world, something like that. You know, I'm ashamed because I cannot really remember the exact argument of each party. I just do. I just remember that they are using the word fantasy a lot, and that hit me because I was just talking about fantasy and how to deal with the world when,、um, and the answer is your internal fantasy. But here, under is. Um, using fantasy in a completely different vein, where he's talking about how scientific inventions are, in a way,、um, our fantasy,、um, and we get lost in all of the science, and we stop really.、Uh, we live in our own timeline.、Uh, timeline, right? We we have our own time zones, and we are we track our progress through science. I suppose that's what something that's something he said, and、uh, we no longer are in direct contact with、um, our surroundings. So that's Andre's point, and、um, I thought it was quite interesting. And I think I might have to rewatch the whole thing. But but yeah, so this film, I I I think it's really refreshing. You didn't you don't really need any plot or really. Any action, even <laughs> to to do a movie,、um, and this is the kind of movie I would like to make myself because it would be probably low budget,、um, and it depends mostly on the script. And if you are a good script writer, sorry, script writer, screenwriter, I suppose you can reproduce this type of art again and again, and so that would be a little bit convenient. <laughs>、um, yeah, so that's that's something I I watched. And、um, yeah, and another one is "Falling in Love" by Yulu Gross Grossband. Is that what I wrote? I don't know. Anyway, it's the one with Meryl Streep in it, and it was. It's again like a nineteen eighty seven film or something. So about twenty to thirty years ago, when Meryl Streep was still twenty something, thirty something,、um, and this is pretty much just a film on. On cheating, so it's not exactly、um, refreshing. I would say it's not a an independent genre. It、um, it's just like any other romantic dramas. And、um, what is what I do like about the film is that the there is some chemistry between the.、Um, Between Meryl Streep and the other person who plays the man, <laughs> I, I I cannot bother to look up the name. I'm sorry, but the point is, if you treat it as a simple love story between between them, it would be, it would be,、um, it would be good. If you're not asking too much for 
for the plot. That's 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 to say. Um, I guess the main attraction or the main um, main thing about the movie is Meryl Streep. So if you like her and you want to know all about her, this is one of the films I you cannot miss. Why am I talking like a film critic or um, <laughs> as if I'm on advertisement? All right. So the third one is um, Sweet Being. Now by Naomi Kawase, so it's a Japanese film, and sweet being refers to so they have this Japanese、uh, pancake which is basically two pancakes with、uh, sweet being, sweet red beans inside. So you have、uh, red bean paste, and the whole film is there isn't too much of a plot. I would say it's, and yet somehow it's not boring. <laughs> You do want to know what what's going to happen and how the characters are going to evolve. So, the well, the plot basically is just that this man has this sweet being、um, the pancake stand and he's just selling them. And this old lady comes by. She、uh, says she wants to help him out with selling the、uh, his food. So. Um, she gets hired and she makes incredible sweet bean paste. So the man used to just order、uh, commercial sweet bean paste, and、uh, this lady comes in and she helps him makes actual good、uh, sweet bean paste. In Japanese, it's called ang. And so、um, there's this. It's just like a. There's this long scene where they're just making the paste. They just show us how they. Uh, boil the the sweet bean. How they add sugar and all that, and so it sounds a bit boring. But but when you're looking, when you're watching the film, it really、um, I didn't stop. I didn't、uh, get distracted by anything else. So I don't know what what's the magic there. <laughs> and it turns out that I guess it's a spoiler, but it turns out that the lady has、uh, leprosy, and so. Uh, in the end, she leaves the stand because people hear rumors about her leprosy, and that's pretty much the only plot. But it doesn't really affect the the experience watching this.、Um, so I still recommend、uh, finding the DVD or subscribing to the Criterion Channel if you if you can,、um, and you can even if you li- live not in the U.S. or Canada, you could do your Find your VPN and you can use your VPN for a day and all that. Anyway, so three movies I watched、um, that I want to talk about, and I don't know why this sounds like a graduate seminar or something. I didn't intend it that way, so I'm gonna sound more cheery <laughs> from now on. I said it would be a sentimental episode, and I mean it because I've just been thinking about. Because when you're watching these movies, sometimes you blank out and you don't even bother to,、uh, you don't want to bother with with opening other windows and multitask because there the you started watching the movie in the first place because of the lack of tasks, right? So, so yeah.、Um, so when I was watching these movies, sometimes you do blank out and、um, you sort of do add a lot into the sort of. Nothing is happening. Periods in the movie, so these periods do happen a lot in, particularly films on the Criterion Channel, where you do have to think a little bit, or it seems like there's no action, and you're supposed to analyze stuff that's going on in in the nothingness, and so that's what I did, and、um, that's how I got sentimental this week. <laughs> 
And I was thinking about how, um, how, how is it, or why is it that I want to watch these movies? Like, what do the movies uh, do to me, do for me? And, and the answer is, I was just thinking about this. The answer, answer I think, is that I feel quite disconnected from the world. Um, I really do, and I think, I think my misery <laughs> in the past two years or so um, stems from this uh, feeling of disconnection, which is to say that I suppose I need to give a counterexample of how I used to feel connected to the world. So I would say that sometimes there are a few uh, movies where you got a few things that you really do. Um, understand in your own way it might be wrong but you, you feel like you do understand the things and occasionally there are also some quotes that you read in books and you feel that you do, you have to copy them down somewhere and so these are the moments for me of connection and of course a good one another good one is talking to friends and having a a real good conversation that kind of stuff I think I mentioned this multiple times because it's it's true for me and I feel that, oh, right, and another one is when, I guess, when you're, when you're in, in school, I think that kind of, um, that feeling of connection happens quite easily um, because, for example, if you're solving a, a math problem and you, like, if the whole process is correct and you feel that it's logical, it's coherent, then most likely you've got the correct answer. And when you got your own solution, I think that process is quite um, enriching because of that connection, of feeling connected to the world of math or something. And not just math, if you are, let's say, writing a paper and the um, your history teacher approves of what you're writing and they made some comments and you got an A, something like that. I suppose these moments could easily um, produce that feeling of connection. And I'm sorry that if you hear a lot of background noises because I, somehow there's a lot of traffic going on in my in, uh, around my neighborhood. So sorry for that noise. I don't know how to cancel it out, how to delete that noise. But hope you don't mind. <laughs> so back to the thing of connection. Yeah, I think in school, it's really easy to get that feeling of connection, especially you were, if you were a um, quote-unquote good student who got A's all the time, um, because it seems like there is this right answer, and you got it, and that's a way of being approved um, by the external world, by someone other than yourself. And I think, and and again, with friends in school, especially uh, high school, you are stuck in the same uh, place every single day for eight to nine hours. And um, the peop- you experience things the same way. You have the same teachers and you um, learn the same things and you got the same syllabus. And so in a way, the experience is a kind of, constructed connectedness where yeah what are you going to do if you um feel like what are you going to do if you don't if you don't really connect to your your peers or to the class or to to some of the subjects right um i think it's a really artificial way of manufacturing that kind of feeling and um 
personally, when I was in school, uh, my experience is a little bit different because I moved from one country to another. So I think I have learned to be disconnected from Sorry, I didn't learn to be disconnected, or rather, I learned the feeling of disconnection pretty early in life, where I realized that a lot of the uh, traditions or structure are just uh, completely artificial, and that feeling of feeling connected to others is just a product of that society in a way. And so, I um, in school. Yes, of course. When you're solving problems, when you're doing your homework and you got things right and you got approved by your teachers, that still that could still give you a sense of accomplishment. And and I think that accomplishment entails a kind of aha, I got it moment where you feel that you are being approved by the world, right? You're being approved by adults and you're being approved by. The god of of science, the god of language, or whoever it is. So I I did of course had that had these moments, but um, in terms of relationship with people, I never really did um feel completely attached to someone or feel that they totally got what I'm saying. And、um, maybe it's my personality, maybe it's my experience. I don't know. So, but yeah, I suspect that a lot of people feel. That kind of bond with people through that more or less artificial setup of the school,、um, and of course in university you can still have that. It's just that you got to find your own niche. And for me, I'm not exactly that kind of person. I'm quite a loner.、Um, so, but I do have my own ways of finding that kind of thing. Where mostly it's from books or from movies and from music even.、Um, But not too much from people. So that's what I want to talk about today. That's what I've been thinking about today. That's what I want to share today. And I'm、um, sorry if I'm just like、uh, fidgeting or something because I'm moving. I'm just trying to put cream on my body. I don't know my my skin is just horribly dry. <laughs> so yeah. So talking to people still can give me that, or、um, I suppose reading、uh, still does that. It's just that these moments are more and more fleeting than than ever, where you feel that you can always、um, find the gap. You can always find the something that's just a little bit off between you and the other object or the other party, be it a person or a book or or some、uh, sentence you saw.、Um, like there isn't gonna be、um, something that's a hundred percent. A hundred percent true to your own heart, true to your own heart, or close to your own heart, <laughs> which is to say that、um, there is nothing that I could totally approve of or I could totally understand. I think getting it is the most difficult part to start with. Like if you cannot even get it, you cannot、uh, comment on it or、uh, criticize it in any way. I think. So, so that's what I've been thinking about. That's why I feel that、um, no matter what I do, no matter what job I choose in the future, or no matter which friends I make in the future, or um, uh, which people I choose to date in the future,、uh, or books I I'm gonna read in the future, I feel that there is like a huge alienation、um, that I always. 
have、uh, that I always feel between me and the other thing, and I was just thinking about like. What is the source of that alienation?、Um, I'm not talking about the Marxist term alienation, although that could be related to that.、Um, but I'm just talking about the intuitive、uh, feeling of alienation, where you feel that the more you talk to your friend, sometimes the more you realize your differences, you find your differences, and then you. The more sometimes you do get disappointed. At least I do. I guess I'm a little bit narrow-minded. It's just that.、Um, I guess the older you are, the more stuff gets、um, into your mind, and so、uh, the more difficult it is to、um, to find someone who really gets what you're talking about. Whereas when you are a child in in school, as I said, you are sharing the same experiences pretty much eight hours a day,、um, and you're probably from the same social class and all that. So you probably have the same experiences at home, and、um, it's very likely that the other person will get what you're saying. But when you move on, when you grow up. Eventually, your friends are going to do different jobs, and they're going to meet different people, and the、uh, thing you have in common is going to shrink、uh, slowly but surely. And so, I think that is going to be a problem, or rather, I it will be a problem for me because you're just going to feel more and more alienated from the rest of the world, from your um uh other neighbors and human beings. So, so that's that. That's that. That's why I suppose that's why people do spend a lot of、uh, money on material stuff because material stuff is a really fast way of feeling connected to the rest of the world. I have this. You have this too. We can talk about this, and I suspect that people do do that mostly for the experience. Sometimes, right?、Um, it's not. Necessary. It's not necessarily always just for this thing. It's really to have something to talk about with your friends, and that's totally totally normal. It's just that it seems that this whole this huge alienation is just sort of everywhere, <laughs> and no one can avoid it. And that's also why people get divorces because they thought they found the person who could at least ninety eight percent bond with them, but then they realize. The more they know this person, the more differences you're gonna discover, and so on and so forth. At least that's my theory. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, so material things is、uh, are probably a quick way to to seal the gap,、um, and yet it's not gonna last too much.、Um, and、um, you gotta find some other ways. So for me, maybe if watching movies net for now is a good. Is a good attempt to do so.、Um, at least I could try to find reviews afterwards and see what other people say about this movie, and that would be a temporary relief from that feeling of alienation. But、um, that's one thing. Another thing is probably books. But the the、uh, I think books.、Um, the feelings of reading a book would come much. Slower, and you do have to read maybe fifty pages to get one single paragraph that you really, really like. And sometimes, even reading the whole book, you don't get it. And sometimes, you don't even finish the book. So, the、um, time cost is just much higher、um, by reading a in reading a book. So, 
I don't know the point of this talk. The point is, I just want to say that that's how I've been feeling. I've been feeling that most of the things don't really matter in a way, in the way that um, the world is just going to go round and round, uh, whether or not you do one thing or another. And uh, most of the time, your action is not going to change how everyone else is thinking and how the world is going to go and how the events are going to turn. And therefore, in a way, you feel that you are, um, let's say, you're not really part of this at all. Where, yes, of course, you could talk about the events happening with your friends and you can discuss them. But in a way, that's just talk. And you feel that um, the things that are happening are totally beyond your control. And, um, of course, you don't necessarily want to control them. But the point is just that um, it's not like solving a math problem where once you've got the solution, that's yours. That's your idea. And the idea happens to match with the external world of mathematics. Uh, whereas whatever war is going on in the on the other side of the globe, that, yes, you can comment as much as you want on it. But... Um, your commentary is not going to affect how the events turn out. And feel, I feel like that kind of feeling of helplessness is the uh, majority of how we're feeling things. Or <laughs> it's going to occupy most of our time, uh, most of the time. And most of the time, it's just going to be the case where uh, what you do and how you react to the event is most likely not going to change the event. It's not going to, and what you say is not going to change the person you're talking to. Uh, and of course, when you're reading, you what you're reading, how you read it, maybe that's the area where you could have a slight change to how um, how the book is going to affect you and all that, right? So, so yeah, so there is like a gradation of things. Um, I suppose... That's um, why I've looked into this. <laughs> yeah, so the point is, that's how I've been feeling. I've been feeling that, and I'm not, I don't even have any grudge towards this. I'm not angry. I'm not disappointed or anything. It's just that, it's not even an aha moment. It's just that I realize how um, unusual it is to really, really bond with anything, anyone any event in the world. Um, and isn't that scary? <laughs> in a way, because suppose we have like, what, seven billion minds on Earth, and each mind overlaps only just 0.01%, then, you know, mathematically speaking, they're just like, they're just going to occupy so much mind spa- space, if there's such a space, <laughs> which is to say that, is it possible that because of the due to this uh, small overlapping region between two minds, eventually the mind space will just be fucked too much. <laughs> Basically, it's not gonna expand anymore, and some minds sadly will have to expel themselves from that mind space because they just don't. We just don't have that tolerance for so many minds, so many ideas, so many personal philosophies, right? Or maybe, of course, um, another thing is 
maybe the mind space is just infinitely large, and you can accommodate infinitely many minds and many ideas in that mind space. And that's the thing, though. Like, how can we be sure? Like, suppose every single mind is independent from each other, and can we really say that all the minds are occupying the same mind space? And while I'm not forcing this, but this seems to tie ties back to my dinner with Ander, where um, the Ander is the uh, a little bit anti-scientific person who says that you know you just live in your own time zone now. You have your own timeline, you have your own scientific projects, and your sense of time is based on your progress in science, and it's completely disconnected from the real time, and all that. It's um, he's being a bit critical, and. So what if that's true, right? What if everyone is just bound to their own projects? Everyone is just bound to their beliefs and what they think is the right thing to do, their own moral compass and all that. And uh, none of these, like, there's very, very little overlap. Let's say I'm I'm a vegan and you're a vegan. So yes, of course, that could uh, shrink the mind space, the universal mind space, a little bit. But um, that's 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 about all we have in common, and um, most of our other stuff, maybe my gender, maybe my interests, these are all going to occupy a lot of space in the mind space, and our only common thing is veganism. And yet, even the veganism itself has so many varieties, So, and it, we are vegan for different reasons, at different times, for different duration, and so in a way, it doesn't really do much to say that we're both vegans, and Perhaps, um, really, with 7 billion minds, you got 7 billion minds merging into like this huge mind space. But then, as Ander is asking, can we really say that we're living in the same space anymore because our sense of time is so different and we don't really have access to other people's minds? So how can we be sure that when we're talking to each other, we're really talking about the same thing or we, when, or we are really on the same track in, in, in one universe or another. I don't know, I'm getting a bit, little bit too, too abstract here, but what I mean is, I guess that's why, that's why life is so disappointing. <laughs> life feels so disappointing because, um, because the, the very fact that we are occupying independent individual parts of the mind space will actually catch us. It's gonna affect how we, how we feel, and then suppose you are one in a million, um, and you found your one in a million lover, and you do feel that 98% of you are um, overlap, right? And if you are normal, I think that really means that this 98% overlap will stay 98% for some time, and then eventually you're going to fuck with some other mind spaces or the vast majority of the other minds in that same mind space, suppose we're all in the same mind space, are going to attract you, right? Um, I'm not saying that you are going to be attracted by someone else per se. It's just that there's so many things in the world that can distract you. And I'm not even just talking about people. Um, Ander, for example, believes that he talks about spirits and all that. So let's say, you know, the 
um, whatever plant you bought or whatever animal you, whatever pet you have, all of these things and all of these living things and even some non-living things, you suppose they have their own minds because how come one computer breaks earlier than the other when they're manufactured by the same company? So let's suppose even inanimate things have some sort of a mind or rather some sort of a thing that will occupy the, let's say, the universal mind space. Well, you know, yes, you may overlap 98% with your lover in that mind space, but, but there are just so many distractions, right? You're going to be having your job, you're going to have your computer games, you're going to basically interact with your pets, you're going to have friends, and so there's just like a huge attraction or like a huge pull from the... Um, Two towards two than two percent that you don't overlap, and you know things are dynamic. And one day, um, it might happen that um, the ninety-eight percent is going to shrink, and eventually you're just going to feel like you have ten percent in common with your other mind, with your lover, with your lover's mind. So that's a sad story. <laughs> so, so I don't know. So. You know, if I if I use this theory, and that is the optimistic case, which is to say that we do eventually all um, live in the same mind mind space, um, and that all minds minds are in this space where you know the random pet A in India right now has uh, is occupying the same mind space as my mind right now. You know, this is a a real optimistic assumption, right? But even in this in this optimistic assumption, it seems to be the case that um, it's quite dangerous <laughs> that the moment that you feel connected to something a little bit more than everything else. Um, by definition, or by the structure of your of the mind space, um, the rest of the stuff in that space are just gonna pull you away from from um, from the thing you feel like you're the most attracted to. So, um, in other words, there's just so many things going on in the world at the same time that it's really difficult to orient yourself um, or to to find your path and to find the thing that's going to be have as much overlap with you as possible, right? And this is, as I said, this is just in that optimistic um, scenario. But let's say in the less optimistic scenario where there are multiple mind spaces, right? And you... Um, some of them may be completely, if they have any shape or um, you can visualize them, some of them may be parallel to each other and some of your minds are never going to meet. I suppose in a way it could be an optimistic case where there there's just less attraction for, from other sources if you are um, looking for that one tiny mind that has the most um, connection with you, right? Maybe it means that, well, since um, there are multiple mind spaces, then um, <laughs> some of them are never going to be able to touch your mind because they are parallel, they're in a parallel kind of space. But, you know, this is whole old just talk and who knows about this. <laughs> My point is, it's just sort of an analogy or rather an an abstract way to to visualize what's going on in the invisible world of, of things. Um, I just feel like the feeling of disconnection is, is just, I, I think it can never go away for me. And I feel that um, even the best novels or the best food or whatever, um, 
there is the mind space is just one part of the equation. Another big part is of course time, and time is going to affect how how you feel. So you might feel you might love a certain book. At a certain age, but then after a few years, you don't like it anymore. You don't even understand why you like it、um, in the beginning. And you know, even the the most shallow things, like、um, like buying foods, for example, you could have that one that one piece of cake in your fridge just lying around. Um, and you have absolutely no attachment to the cake right now. But but one week ago, you wanted it so badly, you bought like a whole big. A、uh, six-inch cake for yourself, right? So <laughs> it's just amazing how we could still survive and hold ourselves together, um, um, in spite of all that alienation every single、uh, second that that's happening right now. It's like every single thing in the universe or in the mind space、um, is trying to distract you. From what you're doing, from what you're trying to connect to, from even understanding yourself, right? Even if, even if you try to split yourself and try to analyze and dissect your own mind, it's very difficult to not get、um, distracted, and that's a huge that's a that requires some practice, I suppose. So I don't know the point of this talk.、Um, basically, I'm just giving you like a very elaborate theory of how. We feel lonely, or how we feel alienated, and I think, I think the, I guess the good thing about this, or rather the、um, more optimistic version of this, is is that it means that perhaps even the inanimate things, or pretty much just artistic creations of of people, or artistic creations of of gods, or you know, plants and your food and. Um, your computer, all of this stuff here, they have a power to attract your mind and to distract your mind, and that may be a good thing. Which is to say that nothing is without、um, without a spirit. I I don't know. I'm becoming like like under, and it sounds super ridiculous, but feel it feels right to to <laughs> to categorize things this way. And yeah, so as I said, it's gonna. It's supposed to be a sentimental episode. I I guess I could I could、um, sort of plot the this theory a little bit better and try to explain it in words. But here it is: the idea of、uh, everything having some sort of spirit, and that's why, ironically, we feel、uh, a lot of alienation every single day. Or maybe you don't. You know, maybe it's just me. But. Yeah, I began. I've、um, started to overcome this kind of feeling. I've started to realize that it's just normal because、um, we got to respect every single spirit, be it in an animal, in a jar of、uh, medicine, or in your headphones, or in your notebook, or on the screen. Whatever it is, I suppose it's a good thing that you feel alienated because it shows that.、Um, There's like a whole lot going on in the parts of the mind space that you cannot see, and they are secretly、uh, pulling you apart or distracting you.、Um, and they're super powerful and yet so discreet and subtle. And then, and then maybe if you have any hope at all,、um, eventually you might even find that one thing or one person or one event where you could be almost like ninety nine point nine percent. 
um, can ninety nine point nine percent overlap with. Um, although of course you have to be cautious uh, when time passes, maybe that number will drop, but. There might be a fleeting moment where you feel like a hundred percent connected to just this other, this other mind in that same mind space. But of course, the theory is we are all living in the same mind space. Maybe, as I said, the other less optimistic thing is there are multiple ones working, and some of you belong to one and another, um, and some of you belong to to, to the other, and. So on and so forth, and maybe there are some of you that could never ever even connect in any way, and it's gonna be zero percent or not even on the same scale. You cannot use the same、uh, measurement because you're not in the same mindset,、uh, mind space. So I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> the point is that's how I've been feeling. I feel that you know I should just accept the fact that、um, most of the time.、Um, Things are not gonna go my way, and I'm not gonna understand most of the things. And it's、um, I would be lucky to find someone who could have a real good conversation with me.、Um, but yeah, so this podcast is keeping me sane because, in a way, I feel that、um, yes, there is silence on the other side. But I do feel that I am connecting to the world、uh, when I'm doing this. <laughs> so、um, yeah. Um, that's it. That's how I've been feeling, and it sounds a little bit ridiculous, and it's not even like a solid theory, but whatever.、Um, the point is, I'll keep watching films on the Criterion Channel, and I'll share with you what I、um, what I've watched and how I feel about them.、Um, and what else? So it's getting pretty hot out here, and、um, out here, out there, and. <laughs> Um, I cannot wait for summer. I hope, although I don't have the plan yet. I don't know. I'll have to do something. I guess I'll figure it out. So yeah, have a great、um, first week of June. So see you next week. Bye bye.